This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Do you believe in magic? We do. After we went on our first backpacking trip with two kids under two, we were questioning how on earth we were going to backpack more than one night with two young ones. The gear, carrying the babies, all the pack weight, it's a lot of stuff. But Rory is in the stage of hiking on his own for portions of the trail, and then all of a sudden he sits down and is ready to be carried. You know how this goes. The Trail Magic is the perfect carrier for backpacking families. I'm so excited about this carrier, you guys. It is a carrier designed to attach to your backpacking pack so your child can easily be carried when needed and get back on the trail when needed. The best part is that the Trail Magic Carrier folds up to the size of a Nalgene water bottle. Perfect for backpacking. Use the code HIKE2022 to receive 10% off your order at trailmagic.com. That's magic with a K. Again, the code is HIKE2022, H-I-K-E-2022. Use the code for 10% off your order at trailmagic.com and add a little magic to your family's next adventure. Are you looking for an easy meal while you're out on the trail? Check out Green Billy Meals. They offer stoveless backpacking meals. These are lightweight, calorie-dense meals that provide you with all your macros you need. Green Belly Meals are made by thru-hikers for thru-hikers. If you're trying to cut some weight, you can ditch your stove, ditch that fuel, and check out these meal bars and the meal powder. Their meal bars come in around 600 calories and only weigh 5.5 ounces. So whether you're planning just a day hike, a nice weekend, or even your next thru-hike, consider Green Belly Meals as a lightweight, calorie-dense option. Go on over to greenbelly.co and use the code HIKINGTHROUGHLIFE to save 10% off site-wide. That's Hiking Through Life, and that's for 10% off Green Belly products. Go check them out at greenbelly.co. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Rick Dougherty. Rick recently hiked Ireland's National Famine Way in order to raise awareness in the fight against domestic violence. Like any time a person is out on the trail, no matter the distance, there were some challenges that arose that made the plans change. Today, we're going to dive into the journey and what the trail was all about for Rick. Welcome to the podcast, Rick. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yes. So I want to know how how did this trail come to be? Let's kind of talk about why did you choose this trail for this purpose? 
So it actually happened completely and totally by accident because for two years, I spent training for and saving for a pilgrimage on the Ireland Way, which is a completely different trail in Ireland. This one starts in Southwest Ireland in the town of Castletown Bear and goes all the way to Northern Ireland. And I started this trail, I was in the first week of doing the Ireland Way and in the mountains, I suffered a knee injury. And then I did some research where I found out that there were a whole bunch of issues further along in the trail that we didn't know about in our guidebooks because the guidebooks were all written pre-pandemic. So there were towns where the trail wasn't properly maintained. There were towns where a lot of the accommodations were going to Ukrainian refugees who were being housed in some of these small towns. So we all of a sudden found out that this was not going to be doable in the time that I had allotted for myself. So instead of quitting, I immediately got on the hiker app. (laughs) and tried to find a new trail that I could do as quickly as possible so that I could still go across Ireland. So now instead of going south to north, I found Ireland's National Famine Way, which went west to east, and I was still able to do my original goal, which was walk across Ireland for domestic violence. So why Ireland? Like, why was that the location? So to give a short answer, it is because my family is from Ireland and I have a strong connection to my Irish heritage. But to sort of expand on that a little bit, growing up in an abusive household, I had an abusive father, but my grandfather from the Irish side of my family came from Ireland, was incredibly proud of his Irish heritage. And he was always such a role model to me. When I had this bad example of masculinity, of how to behave like a man in my father, all of the toxic qualities he possessed, my grandfather on my mother's side was the exact opposite. Raised five daughters, was completely the most respectful man towards women but still did the manly things. Like he got a snowblower and made sure everybody on the block had snow cleared off whenever there was a storm. And he had the cleanest car on the block because he always was washing his car. Like those stereotypical mow the lawn. He was masculine. He just did it without being problematic like my father. And he was always a hero of mine and this positive male role model that I had when I was a kid and he was from Ireland. It was such an important part. He wasn't from Ireland. His family was from Ireland and it was such an important part of his heritage. In August, we just celebrated his hundredth birthday. So it was kind of important to pay tribute to him in my mind while doing this for domestic violence. Right. hundredth birthday. Wait, so he's still alive. He is not. Oh, okay. Okay. We celebrated his hundredth birthday. He did not. He died about a decade ago. Okay. But he was born a hundred years ago to the day. 
So yeah, I mean, there's it's a very important place to you. So do you have family there that still lives over there? I do not. And actually, it was funny because when I went through customs and they asked me, do you have family here? I thought it was going to be bad for me because I said no, but it turns out they didn't want me to have family because they were afraid I'd stay. Um, <laughs> but I don't have family there anymore, um, at least not unless you go back generations and generations to try to connect it. As a matter of fact, I walked Ireland's National Famine Way, which traced the route that a lot of famine survivors made to go from Western Ireland and get on a boat in Dublin and go out throughout the world, Australia, Canada, of course, here in the United States. And that side of my family came over basically around the same time as the potato famine. So I don't know for a fact if my first ancestor to come from Ireland and step foot in the United States walked that trail, but it's very, very possible. And I know that is the time frame when our family came here. Yeah, yeah. I I was reading about it because I actually had never heard of it. So I mean, there's there's a ton of rich history in that trail. So I'm curious how the trail kind of worked for you. Like in one of your videos, it looked like you were camping. You were at something called like the Hungry Hill campsite, I believe. Was there like hostels or stuff for you to stay at along the way? Churches? How did that work? Because it's really called a pilgrimage, not a through hike, as a lot of people would call hikes like this or like, you know, on like the AT or PCT. Right. So the Hungry Hill campground was actually still on the Ireland way. That was where I stopped for a few days on my knee injury. And um, I was there nursing the knee injury and trying to find a second trail. There I did stay a night in a tent. I had my tent. I stayed at that campsite. On Ireland's National Famine Way, I did a combination. I stayed in some hotels. I stayed in some bed and breakfast. I also ended up camping a few days on the trail because either they didn't have those accommodations. As I started getting closer to Dublin, it was more if the town was all full, if there was no room in the inn. Um, but as I was further away from Dublin, it was mostly because it was a town where they didn't have accommodations. I know there was one town where I was walking on the trail and at that particular location, people in town used it for like their dog walking and their evening strolls. And I came across a couple that were walking and I said, you know, do you know if there's any bed and breakfast in this town? And they're like, "That it's not that big of a town. You're going to see that when you get there, we don't have those kind of accommodations. And I said, well, is there like a park or something? And they said, yeah. I'm like, can I set up my tent in the park? And they literally went around to like the five houses in the town and said, can we just let this guy stay in the park? And everybody was fine with it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I was able to do some stuff like that where I set up my tent and did, you know, the real hiking the things that a lot of the through hikers would do. But as a pilgrimage, a lot of what you try to do that's maybe a little different is you do try to interact with these towns a lot. 
going through the towns. And I don't talk a lot about the religious aspect of it because that can be polarizing, but I would visit the churches in some of these small towns. My goal was to really not just hike, but also soak up the atmosphere. And what were some of the biggest like takeaways you got when you were meeting these people in the communities and the towns? And what did you feel? Were they all similar? Were they different? I have never experienced the type of hospitality that I had when I was in Ireland the entire time, but specifically when I was on the trail, there would be older people who would come up to me and I would eventually have to say, listen, I, I got to keep going. Like I got to get my miles or my kilometers in here today. But I was amazed at the number of people who were generally interested in my pilgrimage. I was amazed that they weren't just asking you a question so they could have the launching point to say what they wanted to say, like you find a lot in the U.S., they were generally interested in it. And if there was one example of the hospitality that really, really struck me, it was the last night I was about, I thought 14 miles. It turns out it was more like 18 miles away from finishing. Miles, because they go by kilometers there. They do, but I'm, I had miles <laughs> on the hiking app. So I thought I'd help out all the U.S. listeners here. Right. Um, so I was about 14 to 18 miles from the finish. I got a hotel the last night. And because I had stayed a couple nights in the tent and my knee injury was starting to act up a little bit as I was getting closer to the end, I decided I would splurge and I got a really, really nice hotel. So I come in, we all know what it's like when you've been hiking and staying in your tent for three, four days and you haven't had proper showers and you feel awful and you feel gross to walk in to one of the fanciest hotels I've been at in my entire life. And I'm sitting there and I'm so embarrassed. Oh yeah. They can smell you. Right. I am. I'm looking a mess, but I sat down on a sofa and waited for the people to register and the people got in line behind me because they wanted to let me rest my knees. And all of a sudden people started coming up and asking me about my pilgrimage. It wasn't even that they didn't treat me like I was, you know, trashy because I was dirty and I wasn't in the best state of <laughs> best state of appearance. Not only did they not judge me for it, but they all wanted to hear about my story. They were all interested in making me feel important while they're people who are normally in these super expensive hotels. It was so inspiring as I was getting ready to finish this thing to see that people really did care and people thought it was cool and people didn't say, oh, he's a mess. They said, oh, he's a mess because he's doing this cool thing. And that was one of my favorite moments of the entire pilgrimage. Right. I mean, and that, yeah, just like having them come up to you and be able to talk and having you share your story does open up so many doors. And like, yeah, it's cool that you're saying they're not judging you for that, especially in a place like that. Most people would feel like they're going to be judged at first, for sure. Were you like, was there a lot of other people out there hiking? 
So actually, when I was doing the Ireland way at first, before I had to change courses, I ran into a hiker from the United States. Actually, he was from New Orleans, a bartender. His trail name is Barter. He's done the Appalachian Trail a number of times, and he has done some other long through hikes. And we met at the Cork bus station as we were heading down to Castletown Bear, the town where the trail started. I started a few hours before him, but we met up the first night on the Ireland Way. And the rest of the time that I was doing the Ireland Way before I had my knee injury, I hiked with him. And after I had the injury and I had to change course, he actually suggested when I had the injury first, he's like, get on a plane in the next two or three days and do El Camino in Spain. Go, go do it now. And I'm like, no, Ireland was was part of the thing. So I'll find another trail here. But um, after I changed course, I followed him as he continued on the Ireland way. And I made a friendship with him and he was doing it for completely different reasons where I was doing it as a pilgrimage, sort of having those religious goals. He was doing it like somebody would do the AT or the PCT. And he was talking about all those bucket list trails that he had on his list. And I told him about the ones that I hope to accomplish at some point. And it was really interesting to run into somebody where I don't drink. He's a bartender. I don't particularly like New Orleans, as a matter of fact. Every time I've been there, I'm probably never going back. But he loves it, and he moved there. And there's no way the two of us ever would have been friends or would have started this friendship had it not been for our mutual love of hiking and getting out on the trail. But when I had to change course, it was emotional for me, and it was hard because I had planned for two years to do this pilgrimage and I had to change course on a dime. And if I didn't have somebody there like Barter who could, you know, be that sounding board for me, it would have been even harder. So I really am appreciative of him. Once I moved to the National Famine Way, I was the only person doing that as a pilgrimage. That is a fairly new trail. They extended the Royal Canal Trail a little further to the National Famine Museum in Strokestown, Ireland. And when I got my certificate for finishing, it was in a museum that focuses on emigration from Ireland to other parts of the world. And they are trying to promote this. They are still in the process of promoting this trail. I'm just lucky that I found it on the hiker app or I never would have heard of it. There weren't a lot of people who were doing it as a pilgrimage, but every day I was running into people who use this as a bike trail or use it to be a part of their nightly walks. There were definitely parts where you would get close to a town and it turned into almost a park. If that makes any sense. Right, right. I was running into people all the time. I was having a lot of conversations. I was running into different towns. So I would see people, but nobody else was doing the pilgrimage the whole way. <laughs> right, right. And that's also like makes it much different than um, a through hike, I think, because sometimes through hikers are out there alone for 
a long, long period of time. So that creates another difference of a pilgrimage versus a through hike. Because before this, I like it really got me thinking and I was like reading like differences of pilgrimage versus a through hike. And like they they're similar, but there's some pretty significant differences as well. I use the terms almost interchangeably between hiking and pilgrimage. Um, obviously, it wasn't a through hike. It was completely different than that particular type of hike. But I understand that I have like the motivation is what differentiates it. But you could just say I'm going for a long walk. I don't really care what anybody calls it. It's just that sort of gets into the motivation. If you have like more of a spiritual motivation, I think I would personally consider it more of a pilgrimage. There's just a different vibe to a through hike doing the AT or something like that, that is a lot different. Right, right. And you had like this, I mean, you were out there raising awareness for domestic violence. So when you would like meet people, was that often like the kind of conversation starter? Did you, were you wearing like a t-shirt or I think in one of your videos, you had it advertised on your backpack? So I had a sign made that I hung from my pack when I was in towns. And it had the QR code for the fundraiser and it had information about domestic violence. I also had a T-shirt that I wore uh, while I was on some of the trail. Like, obviously, I would change T-shirts periodically, so it wasn't every day. It's kind of interesting because you mentioned the spelling and pronunciation of my name before we started actually doing this as a podcast. And my name is spelled D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y, which a lot of people would call Doherty or something similar to that. Well, I was wearing the shirt that says uh, Rick Doherty walks across Ireland to raise money or to raise awareness for domestic violence victims. And a woman came up to me in the trail one of my last days. I think it was the second to last day. And she points at my shirt and she goes, you're a Doherty. And I'm like, I was pushed back. You know, I'm like, nobody's ever pronounced it correctly the first time before. And she's like, well, you're Irish. And I know, you know, that an Irish name like that. And I said, well, I'm not really Irish. I'm, you know, from the U.S. And she just stopped me and she goes, no, if you come from Doherty's, you're Irish. And it was just one of those funny little stories going with wearing my shirt. But I did, I tried to, as much as possible, talk about why it was important to me, why I was doing this for survivors of domestic violence. You've mentioned the videos that I have from the trail on my YouTube channel. And there are some times where I'm walking and I'm just showing the scenery and reading statistics because part of this is raising awareness and letting people know what a big problem domestic violence is and how it affects people even once they get out of a bad situation. And when I had to change to the National Famine Way, it sort of seemed like it was almost appropriate because talking about domestic violence is talking about getting away from a home life that's not safe. And that's the exact same thing, only in a different way that these people did on the National Famine Way when they were fleeing a horrible home situation and trying to find a better life. That's what so many survivors of domestic violence do every day. They get out of 
horrible, horrible situations and they make themselves safer. They make their lives safer and it's not easy. So you're walking over a hundred miles to get with no food, to get to this city and get on a boat and find a better life. And it's such a brilliant analogy to what so many women have to go through every single year to get to better situations. Right. Well, and not only women, I mean, you said growing up, you struggled with it. Yes, I had, you know, I grew up in an abusive household. So it's kind of weird where you get into the semantics kind of of whether you're a child abuse, a child abuse victim or a victim of domestic violence. But most of what happened to me was collateral damage. I would say it was things intended for my mother that ended up affecting me. And abuse is not just physical. So sometimes we do focus on those kind of things, but there is emotional abuse. There is a lot that can have a hugely negative effect. And I just want people to be able to feel safe at home. And I want them to know where to go if they don't feel safe at home. Right. So tell us a little bit about like the fundraiser and how that works. And the uh, was it CASA that you're working with to do this? So I connected with CASA of Pinellas County. It's C-A-S-A is the name of the organization. And I actually forget exactly what CASA stands for, but it is funny that it is a domestic violence charity and it's abbreviation turns into the Spanish word for house. So that's kind of a pleasant little (laughs) coincidence. Uh, But Casa of Pinellas County here in the St. Petersburg area of Florida, that is our local domestic violence charity. And we worked with them so that my fundraising link is not people giving money to me and then me giving the money to Casa. We are just a link on their website. So the money that gets donated in honor of my walk on Ireland's National Famine Way is immediately accessible to CASA of Pinellas County so they can help survivors of domestic violence immediately. That was a huge thing for me. I knew I was going to be in another country and I didn't want to be handling the money and dealing with all that. I also know that so many people do nefarious stuff in honor of charities. And I wanted people to know that I'm not touching this money at all. And the best part is there's no processing fee or middleman. So if you can only donate $5 to CASA, they're getting $5. And that's a huge deal for me. So we connected with the local charity and it's been great. I've only lived here for a few years in Pinellas County, but I know, for example, if you go to a Tampa Bay Rays baseball game in St. Petersburg, you mentioned it being a problem for women, men, children, everybody. Every bathroom at a Tampa Bay Rays baseball game has Cass's information hanging on the walls. I would go to baseball games with my abusive father all the time. If there would have been something like that, a sign in the bathroom that said, do you need help? Call this number. Obviously when I was a kid, 
we didn't all have phones in our pockets, but I might have found a way to say something about it earlier. And it's an organization, I just really have a lot of respect for them and what they do and how long they've been doing it. That's another thing. They're not a fly-by-night organization. They've been here for a really, really long time. Yeah. Well, and I guess, yeah, like you just said, like some people, they only get five minutes away from this type of situation, but like people don't call because they are so scared of the situation they're in. So like, what's your biggest piece of advice if someone's like super scared to make that step to do that? So one of the things I'm doing is I'm raising money and awareness, but I want to make everybody know, like, I'm not an expert. I'm an expert in terms of I experienced it and I know how bad it can be, but I want to make sure that people know that my advice is not coming with any sort of degree or anything like that. But one thing that I did was, like I said, I read statistics over the course of the trail and I tried to share some of that information with people. I came across a statistic about how many people who try to interject are injured in domestic violence situations. That it's not the same number as the victims, but it's a lot more than you would think. People who try to do the right thing and end up getting hurt themselves or end up getting other people hurt. So the first thing I would say is reach out to somebody with some sort of authority. Reach out to whatever your version of CASA is where you live, the National Domestic Violence Organization, the National Domestic Violence Hotline. These are people who know how to make sure you can get out of this situation in the safest way possible. If it were up to me, I would be like that episode of Roseanne from the 80s where Dan Connor went up and beat up Jackie's boyfriend, but that's not the real best way to do it. <laughs> it's a fantasy a lot of men have that we can do that and we can solve the problem, but the best course of action is to reach out to an organization in your area and abusers try to make you feel alone. They try to make you feel like you're isolated, that you don't have any friends. I can assure you that that is not the case. There are people out there who want to help. And maybe the only advice they're going to give you is to call the local organization, but maybe they can Google it so it doesn't show up on your search history. There are people who want to help and there are people out there who are willing to do what is needed. My mom often tells a story about how when I was a little baby and we were in another state, we had moved away from where our family lived and there was an incident and she was afraid that she was going to call her mother or call her sister and she was gonna say, this happened to me and they were gonna say, well, you know what? You made your bed, now lie in it. And now 40 some years later, she's like, they would have hopped in the car and would have been there within two hours to pick me up. And we would have lived there and figured something out in the next week. She didn't know it at the time, but people that you don't know will help you, will help you. You can find a way out of these situations. I do want to say, however, if you're an ally 
to people who are dealing with domestic violence. Don't ever ask, why didn't she leave? She'll leave when she's ready. Don't try to push that. The only thing that I know is when people push, she needs to leave, she needs to leave. You create a bond sometimes. So what I always try to do, if I know somebody who's in this situation, and I say, whenever you're ready to go, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Like whenever you're ready, whenever you need that, just know I have your back. And if I think you're making the wrong decision, I'm going to have your back on the wrong decision too. But you need to know that somebody will support you no matter what, because right now you don't have that. And that's what I always try to do when I'm confronted with the situation. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really good advice that you can't pressure people to do it. You got to be ready to do it on your own. Kind of like a lot of things in life, pressuring anyone to do anything. People kind of got to learn on their own through any situation. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a big Pearl Jam fan and they have the song Corduroy in the line, push me and I will resist. Like you try to make me do something. I'm not going to want to do it. And the last thing you want is to create a bond with the abuser because that's what the abuser is trying to make happen. They are trying to make them the safety space. And you will take the abuse because it feels safer than the alternative. So if you make the alternative feel safer than the abuse, that's how you get the people to make the right decision and they have to make it on their own. Nobody has ever done the right thing without thinking they were doing the right thing. Absolutely. I also just wanted to touch on the trail itself, like your preparation for the hike. How long is the trail? How long were you out there? So I had been preparing for over two years to do this, which is one of the reasons that it was so funny. And my preparations involved obviously training as all of us do when we're getting ready for a hike, hitting the elliptical, lifting lots of legs, doing lots of shoulders to handle the pack. But I did some other things to get ready for the expenses involved where I did little things like collected soda cans and took them to the recycling place to get money for them. And then I put that money in a jar and I saved it for two years. I was working at 1.7 jobs. I was a race director running 5Ks and 10Ks every month here in the area. I was working for professional sports teams that you can probably figure out who they are, but I'm not supposed to say. Not on um, your hat or anything? Um, no, not on my hat, if, uh, if anybody could see me. Um, and I had been doing stuff constantly to save money. And every time I would work a sporting event, maybe if it was a baseball game, I'd put $15 away. If it was hockey, I'd put 20. If it was football, I'd put 30. And I just kept saving this money over the two years. And at the same time, doing test hikes. We have a great trail here in Pinellas County. It's the Pinellas Trail. It stretches from just outside the county and goes to downtown St. Petersburg. It will take you right to the water if you take it the entire way. Um, 
it's an old railroad line that has been converted into a trail. And I would do that. That's over 40 miles. I do that over a couple of days to sort of get ready. And I'll tell you what, when you're preparing in May on the Pinellas Trail in Florida, and then you're trying to do a trail in Ireland in June, those are two completely different levels of training that you need. It was about 100 degrees the last time I did the Pinellas Trail in preparation for Ireland. Some of those first nights in Ireland, it was so cold that I was shivering in my tent. I was shivering. And it was amazing to me that it would get so cold. But I tried, you know, pretty hard for two years. The only thing for which I wasn't prepared was for my knee to go out. And it got stuck in some muddy situations as I went to climb up the side of a mountain. And at one point, my foot stayed and the rest of my body moved forward. So I had to heal that up and it cost me time. But everything as far as my ability to handle the weight of the pack, you know, I had the cardio down. I had all the physical stuff needed except for every once in a while we just hit these situations where something goes wrong. And the Ireland way was definitely more in the middle of nowhere. And one of the things that really scared my wife and why she wanted me to change trails was if anything even worse happened, not being close to any sort of medical as anybody who's <laughs> done through hikes knows, sometimes you need to make sure that you have access to medical somewhere around you. But Were you carrying like Garmin with you at all? So I hope REI isn't a sponsor of your podcast. They're I not. <laughs> bought a Garmin from REI and I was in my hotel room in Dublin setting it up and it just died two days after I got it. So it was unfortunate. Now they did give me my money back. And well, everything, yeah, they got a one year warranty. But I was I was stranded a little bit there without a Garmin. And I did have the hiker app though. So that helped a ton. That app is incredible. Um, not to plug anything, but <laughs> um, it doesn't take your cell phone data once you've logged into it, but it'll show you where you are in according to the trail. So that was really, really helpful for me. Um, once I got on Ireland's National Famine Way, it is very, very well marked, which is a benefit. Um, sometimes it was better marked than the app. I would go on the side of the canal that the app was telling me was the trail. And I would be walking through grass that was up to my belly button and I'm six foot four. And the other side of the trail was just a nice dusty little path. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if the app wants to make this more challenging for me or if there was a mistake somewhere along the way, but it was marked really, really well. And there were a lot of great towns to see. Um, I mentioned Mullingar a little earlier. And in that town, I decided instead of following the trail around the town, I would walk through the center of the town to try to see 
some of the sites that were available. And I'm glad I did because they actually had a statue in the middle of town dedicated to pilgrims walking different pilgrim trails. And I don't know why they didn't put that on the trail. It would have made a lot more sense, but it was in the middle of town and I got to get my picture taken with this statue. And there were just a lot of really interesting towns. And I think the reason that we all do this, whether it's a through hike, whether it's day hikes, or whether it's pilgrimages, we're doing it because we don't want to visit these places and just see the same tourist sites that everybody else gets to see. You don't get to understand Ireland by going to Dublin and taking a bus tour and going to the Temple Bar. That's the tourist stuff. Like going to the Guinness factory? That's what I did when I went there. <laughs> I, I'm going to say going to the Guinness factory is pretty cool, but <laughs> um, you try to get out and see what these places really are like. And that is why I'm so happy that I never plan a trip where I'm not getting out somewhere either in nature or hitting a trail in some form or fashion because it gets me to see real people. It got me to see real Ireland. I took a train out to Cork from Dublin to start the trail. And I was seated on this train with this older gentleman and his granddaughter. And the woman sitting across from me was from Brazil. And we had never met each other before. And we spent two, three hours in just the greatest conversation. And now I have these people who I'm never going to see them again, probably, but I consider them friends. They were an important part of one of the most important things of my life. And I never would have met them if I would have just stuck to the regular itinerary. Um, the old guy told story after story, and then he went to the bathroom and we asked his granddaughter, are they true? And she said, well, about 50% of them are true, but he believes all of them. So, <laughs> and it was just those types of memories that are why I think we all do this because we want to see the real parts of these areas. I think, does your shirt say you're from Tennessee? Minnesota. Okay. Minnesota. So if you're from Minnesota, you can't get that vibe by going to Minneapolis. Like, yeah, you can see the baseball stadium and you can, maybe there's some statue of Prince. I don't know exactly what you have there, but um, that's not going to tell you the story. But if you get out on the trail and you get into some of these smaller towns and you stop at a convenience store because you need to get a strawberry milk or whatever you're craving after a day on the trail. That's when you meet the real people and you're forced to just sit there and relax and you're forced to have a conversation and not be in the fast paced day-to-day -day grind that you get all the time. And that's my favorite part of the trail. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. You're taken away from the grind and your phone and you, you probably really are forced to have conversations with the people you meet because you can't sit there staring at your screen because you're disconnected. Except the hiker app, which I definitely yes. stared at a lot, but it also didn't take up data, which was a good thing. But being in another country and having 
an Irish phone plan and not being able to just text my friends constantly all day, which I'll admit, I get into that sort of slump where the gossip between friends is keeping you from doing things on a day. And listen, I absolutely adore my friends and I am not putting down any of my friends who are listening to this, but sometimes just getting away. And then once I got back to the States, I wanted to talk to them more. I had all of these things to tell them. So every once in a while, just getting away for a couple weeks, not only gives you a break from those things, but it makes you appreciate how important they are to you. So you definitely do, though, need a break from the grind, especially when you're working seven jobs. <laughs> totally. And two weeks. So that's how long this took you, two weeks? All in all, it was about two weeks. Came a little short of three weeks. So how long were you kind of just out of commission due to that knee injury? Three days. I gave myself three days and one of those was a travel day. So I was not messing around. I wanted to get started. The reason that I picked the National Famine Way, I'm glad you asked that because I would have forgotten to mention this, is that it was flatter. So I wasn't dealing with the mountains that I was dealing with on the Ireland Way. We were going to face even higher mountains in the next couple days after I switched. and. While my knee hurt, I never felt like it was going to give when I was on the National Famine Way. So I tried to pick something that didn't quite have as much elevation to it. Right. And so did you, you didn't feel like there was any more injury when you were doing that trail and has that been cured or have you kind of ignored that knee injury now? I know a lot of hikers tend to ignore injuries too. So I have to be careful because I'm sure that my wife and my mother are both going to listen to this. So for their benefit, I handled everything the most responsible way humanly possible. And I didn't just put a leave cream on every morning and try to fight the pain. Now, if you're asking me for real, of course, that's what I did. I put a leave cream on and we've all done it. And I actually have plantar's fasciitis pretty badly because when I was training for my first marathon, I got it a little bit two months before the marathon. And I had to decide whether I was going to go ahead and run my first marathon or if I was going to heal from the plantar's fasciitis. And I can try to dig up my medal for my marathon here if you want to see it, but I definitely chose the marathon instead. I've been dealing with knee injuries since I was 14 years old. I played basketball and baseball in high school, and I was a catcher in baseball, and I just messed up my knees really early, and I have a high tolerance for knee pain. Now, I don't want to do permanent damage to it, and I was able to avoid doing permanent damage, but... I definitely said it's going to hurt, but I'm here and I only get one life to live. So while I'm here, I'm going to make sure I hike across Ireland, even if it hurts. Right. Yeah. Just, just power through it. That's kind of the, well, and especially when you're raising awareness for something so important to you, that's kind of what you got to do. You just got to kind of like power through your pain. And yeah, I know that's kind of the mindset that so many hikers get in, in these situations. 
And the amount of pain that I felt is nothing compared to the agony that somebody is going through if they're in an abusive situation. Me complaining about the thousands of dollars that I spent to go gallivanting across the world and hike through this beautiful countryside. If I complained about that, I would be the biggest jerk in the world. There are people dealing with much, much bigger problems than me having a knee injury. And I got to come home and I got to sit on my recliner for the next two weeks and not do anything. So it's not like I have any room to complain. And we're all blessed to be able to do stuff like hiking. We're all blessed to have the flexibility in our lives to take off a month and go do a through hike. Or obviously, if you're doing a through hike, a lot of times you're taking off half a year if you're doing the AT. So we're all so privileged to be able to do these things. And I'm not going to complain about having a knee injury now. I'm not going to destroy my knee and make my wife angry at me. But besides that, I was going to fight through it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's a really good perspective to put onto it that, yeah, other we're very lucky to be able to do these things. It's a, uh, yeah, we're just so blessed to be able to like have the money and things that you need. You do need materials to go hiking. You need things to go hiking. And yeah, we're all very blessed to be able to do this awesome, beautiful activity. So I've mentioned that I live in Florida and you've been on my YouTube page. And while I talk a lot about the hike and the pilgrimage, I also do a lot of stuff at Disney. And I think when people complain about theme parks, when we get to go all the time, and I'm like, do you hear yourself complaining about, like, you are in the top 1% of the top 1% of the top 1% to get to do what you're doing all the time, as much as you're doing, if you complain about it, I have to smack myself every once in a while and just say, you can't complain about these things because you are blessed beyond words. When I was finishing the trail and I've just been editing some of the last videos that I have from the National Famine Way, and I was sitting there and everything hurt, but I just kept saying like, I can't believe this is my life. Like I'm sitting here drinking a strawberry for some reason when I hike I need strawberry milk it's just one of those weird cravings that you get I'm sitting here on a park bench in Dublin a couple miles before I'm gonna finish this I got my pack sitting right next to me and I'm watching Dublin happening in front of me and what did I do to deserve this kind of great life like I have no idea what I did but somehow this is what I'm doing right now. And it's perfect. And yeah, I'm in a lot of pain, but I'm not going to remember how the pain feels. I'm going to remember the feeling of sitting here and seeing this thing that I'm never going to see again. Seriously. Yeah. Now you're giving me like the travel bug so much and it's just, but yeah, it's so true. Like, yeah, it's, we're so lucky to do this stuff and just having those reminders, hearing those reminders, I think is what we need to just realize, yeah, we need to be so grateful for that type of stuff. Um, so if people do want to kind of hear more about your story on YouTube or uh, donate it all to the domestic violence, where can they do that? 
So first of all, to donate to Casa of Pinellas County in honor of my pilgrimage, it's casapinellas.org slash walkwithrick slash that's C-A-S-A-P-I-N-E-L-L-A-S dot org slash walkwithrick slash. It would really mean a lot to me if anybody would donate. And like I said, we're not asking for $100 donations. If you have $10, $5, and you can donate it to help survivors of domestic violence, it would really mean the world. We really appreciate every single donation. But to keep up with my pilgrimage, I've been posting videos between August 1st of 2022 and Halloween day, October 31st of 2022. Every Monday, I'm posting a new video from Ireland, from my journey. And that October 31st date is poignant for a couple reasons. One, it's Halloween. Two, it just so happened to be a Monday because I wanted to post these videos on Monday. But it is also the last day of Domestic Violence Awareness Month, which is the day that we have sort of set up to be the finale of our fundraiser. So you can go check out those videos. A lot of those videos are up right now. A couple of them will be coming out between now and October 31st. And you're going to see some emotional moments. You're going to see a big dude cry a couple times. And you're going to see some incredibly beautiful landscapes. You're going to see some towns that you never would have thought of before in your life. And that is on my website, my YouTube channel, Tall Guy Talks Travel with Rick Doherty. D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y, not the way it is pronounced. And um, I would really appreciate it if anybody would check out those videos. I actually learned how to edit video specifically for these vlogs from the trail. I have worked in television before and never learned how to do video, but I did it for this particular project. So it's that important to me. And I would really love it if people would check them out. Yeah, they are awesome videos. I was watching a few and it's no lie. I saw a big guy cry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, now I will say that on that first video, which is the one to which I think you're referring, yep. um, I was also being eaten to death by bugs which we can all relate to that as well, but it obviously makes it look like you're even more emotional. <laughs> yes, yes. But no, they're, yeah, they're good videos. Good, really good vlogs for sure. And shows beautiful scenery. Yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. Well, perfect. Yeah, we will definitely put those links in the show notes as well of this. And um, yeah, is there anything else you want to share? I think that the only other thing that I would like to share is... When I talked about the hospitality in Ireland and I talked about how nice everyone was and sometimes, especially right now with everything going on in the world, we are meaner and meaner and we are less accepting of people and just, just try to be a little more empathetic towards people. We don't know what people are going through in their day-to-day -day lives. and I have tried every day since I've been back to try to keep that vibe 
that the people of Ireland had and that hospitality and that empathy, because I think we need a lot more of it right now. Absolutely. That's perfect. I think we need to end on that. Thank you so much, Sarah. This was like awesome. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.